Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today. Welcome, everyone that's here. Uh, for those of you that, that haven't done so yet, there is a poll up and maybe behind the, uh, the Zoom meeting window. If you could fill that poll out for me, um, I'm just curious as to what types of people we're engaging. And don't worry if, if you don't feel like your answers are okay, except for question five. There's only one right answer on question five. Um, Absolutely. It's so, a very awesome bear. <laughs> All right, so so welcome. This is the this is the webinar for MSP processes and procedures and policies um, to help everyone here in the room, not just the panelists, um, but or or not just the attendees. Even the panelists are going to learn something here today. So we've got four panelists. Um, Three of them are here now. Another one will be arriving approximately uh, 45 minutes after we start because he is in another webinar right now, educating people. So he's let me move. He's, That's why he's not here. It's it's because he is such an amazing guy that he he couldn't he couldn't commit to just one. <laughs> so he's everywhere. <laughs> so he's let me, watching, So he may be. Um, so let me introduce our panelists real quickly. Um, I have turned the three panelists that are here into co-hosts. So if you guys need to do anything like mute somebody or remove somebody from the room, feel free to do so. Um, I do ask that everybody here be professional, be courteous. Um, nobody here is getting paid to do this. We're, we're doing this because we want to help. So please just let us help and we can have fun and draw whatever you want after this meeting is done. Okay. <laughs> so we'll, we'll start with, um, we'll start with BJ because he's going to be starting uh, our, our, he's going to be kicking everything off. He's going to be talking about sales. Uh, BJ owns his own company. It is um, what, what's the name of your company? Uh, my company name is ETOP technology. Okay. It's my last name backwards. What better way to do it? Um, it it's it a lot. It's a lot cooler sounding ETOP than like Rolyat technology. So right. You know, good good job on that. So BJ, how long have you been doing this? Uh, we've been in business officially about four and a half years now. And how many clients do you have? Ballpark. Uh, around seventy-five. Okay. And how many endpoints are you managing? Around 800. Okay. So you got some, some fairly decent sized clients then. Good for you. Um, how, how have uh, sales been going for you lately? Um, we so far this year have almost beaten our entire um, sales for last year. Uh, when it came to adding new endpoints on and we have uh, enough in our pipeline right now that we will probably triple what we did last year when it comes to adding new endpoints. So uh, 
my goal is to have 300 complete premium managed service users by the end of the year. And we're almost a hundred right now. And we did just under a hundred last year. Good for you, man. Good for you. Okay. And uh, lastly, what do you think has been the, the biggest reason for your success lately? Consistency for four years. Uh, I'll say that's probably the single biggest thing. Uh, and consistently revisiting the process and figuring out what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and how we can uh, improve. Uh, by no means do I have what I would call a magic sauce or anything, but I feel like we're starting to have been around and existed long enough as a company and have done a, func done a functional process long enough that um, it's starting to really click when we talk to clients. We know a lot of what they're looking for. We're starting to really focus a lot more on one, one or two very specific um, verticals and it's a lot easier to speak the language and we're starting to make all the right relationships. So if they have a problem, we can speak to that problem a lot more directly. So I, just that and grinding, there's a lot of grinding. Good for you, man. Okay. Um, so next let's move over to Ernest. Ernest owns his own company. Why don't you, uh, tell us your company name, Ernest, uh, Ernest solutions. It's easy enough, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and Ernest, how long have you had your company? Registered it 10 years ago, started working on the business processes, took on the first client about five years ago. And how many clients do you think you have today? Uh, we've got a little over 130 right now. Okay. And how many endpoints are you managing? Uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 to 1,200. Good for you. So you are here to, to educate everybody on onboarding. So um, walk us through like, you know, a mile high overview. What, what does onboarding look like within your company? So because of my background, I took onboarding and, and my clients in a different direction than most MSPs do. We really focus heavily on becoming a partner, not just a vendor. So we, our onboarding process is a, is a three month process for every client, regardless of size. And we go through everything, hardware, software, what they do, their business processes, uh, and look for ways to provide an outside view for our clients uh, of their business and of their processes and of, of what they do. And that's been really successful for us. Excellent. And our third panelist that we have here right now is Carlos uh, and, and his last name is a mystery to everyone. That's okay. That's the way it should be. Excellent. Carlos, tell us, uh, what's your company name? Uh, company name is Brainstump and no, it, it was never meant to see the light of day. That name, uh, been in business for, I think 14 years, maybe 15. I have to check the, check the records. It's not neighborhood. Okay. Uh, let's see. From since 2003. How's that? Do the math. That's fantastic. That's 14 years. Uh, how many clients? How many endpoints? Uh, tricky question. So managed clients, uh, we're sitting at 20. Uh, and managed endpoints, we're sitting at 482, I think. It's in that neighborhood. Okay. Um, intentionally, so uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, in addition to that, I have... Consulting clients that add another 50 to 60 to the pile, 50 to 60 clients to the pile that are consulting only. 
and a few break fix that are, that haven't seen the light yet and figure another 15 break fix or so that haven't seen the light and haven't gotten into the MSP on board, which are soon going to become either ex clients or they're going to be MSP because I'm tired of dealing with break fix. Good for you, man. Um, Excellent. So Carlos is going to be educating us on service delivery and and how he performs his day-to-day operations within the company when it comes to uh, providing tech support, service requests, project management, um, probably even uh, uh, how frequently he meets with a client to go over like a maybe a quarterly business review or whatever he does. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that he can go over with us. Um, and then finally, uh, Ray Orsini will be joining us later. Um, like I said, he is in another webinar right now. So um, he'll be joining us later. Ray will talk about marketing. And we're actually going to do marketing last. And it's important that marketing kind of is last because, you know, even though you've, you've marketed, you'd, you've sold, onboarded, and you're providing services, you need to continue uh, to market and get new clients. So it is, it is a very um, circular uh, uh, thing we've got going here to manage, a, to manage an MSP practice. So with that, I'm going to uh, pass the screen over to BJ, and we are going to just start popping into some questions. Um, I have some questions that um, I want to go through first. But please, if any of you here have questions about any of the sales process stuff that he's doing, feel free to put them in the chat, and I will get through those um, as as quickly as we can. So, um, BJ, what what does your do, I guess first of all, do you have like a, a sales cycle? Do you have like a process of here's here's what I need to do in order to take this lead and close them? Yes, we have a pretty, pretty defined sales process from the first contact all the way through the onboarding. Um, it's definitely still a work in progress, but I would say overall, um, so if we have a full-time salesperson. That was actually our first hire. I figured it didn't, I could handle all the tech for all the client base that we had when we started and uh, which wasn't many. And at that point we just started walking in doors figuring all it took was you know the chance to walk in the door and people would turn into clients and you know sales would fall from the sky <laughs> wrong um apparently i'm being told that i sound tinny so i apologize uh, is that better steve no okay <laughs> it's okay we'll we'll work through it man we'll work through it all right um so our sales process now, we have somebody walk in the door and we're not even really trying to get to the decision maker um, at the first, like in the, when you walk in the door, but we're trying to leave our, our, uh, our packet, let people see what we, uh, let people have that. But then we, at that point, are able to do enough research on the back end, figure out, you know, is it like an ideal, ideal client? Uh, is it, the, uh, does it happen? One of the things that my salesperson said really kind of hit me is, are there cars in the parking lot? And is it a nice, is it a nice enough building that we'd want to service it? And that sounds kind of funny and maybe like, but it, it's really helped us target companies that are, are growing. If there are no cars in the parking lot, why would I want to walk in the door? Um, 
So then we do a lot of LinkedIn research. We do a lot of data.com research. Um, we'll put them into our CRM, uh, add them to LinkedIn. We'll send follow-up emails. We usually almost always can find the proper person to talk to by doing some LinkedIn research. Um, and by doing that, it really helps us target in and find out if it's a company that we want to do business with. And if it is, then we start following up with that person and tell that we either, they either tell us to go away which does happen. And we ask them to please tell us to go away if it's not something you're interested in. Or um, we book a meeting and then move through our uh, like formalized sales process at that point. Um, I was going to show a couple of like, have a basic workflow of what our uh, sales process looks like here. Hang on. So this is what would be really nice having all the customers contact us, etc. It's not super realistic. This is a lot closer to what actually happens. So we walk indoor, CRM research, uh, LinkedIn, MailChimp, follow up with phone calls. Typically we're uh, somewhere between seven and 15 calls and or touches before we book a meeting. Um, we may need to do a better job in scripting to fix that, but we found that it takes somewhere between seven to 15 calls for us to get into a meeting, book the meeting, start our opportunity. Uh, we do our initial sales meeting. Uh, the goal of the initial sales meeting is not for us to talk or tell them about who we are. They don't, they do not care if they're sitting down and meeting with us. It's because they have a pain they have frustrations. So our goal is to really listen and hear and see what's going on. And the reality is the tech really doesn't even matter in that first meeting. Um, you know, being, being a fellow nerd, I, I love nothing more than the technology. It's so much fun. It, it, it's really, you know, I got into this business because it's, we could be, we could be nerds. Uh, and I love it, but the reality is, is the business operations, the business flow is really the part that matters and hearing what they're sitting down with you for a reason. People do not switch it providers just because they usually have these long-term relationships, five, 10, 20 years with their it provider. Even if they dislike them greatly, they're probably not going to switch just because, um, just because you're cute, um, you could be you could be a lot better than their existing person. But if 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 you don't have an extremely compelling value, or they really are in a dire place, or they their their provider current provider really botched something, they're probably not going to switch. Um, so you have to figure out how to sell on value, and we have and and this is something we're really figuring out this year. Finally, is like how do we sell on value and 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 like having a really amazing stack so that way we can come in show them how cool we are and well, not just cool, but how much value we're bringing to them as a company. Um, and then the goal of our first like actual sales meeting is to hear the problems, but then book the technical discovery. And so we always do two or three meetings in this process. Um, so we do the initial one. And if we can tack on a technical discovery during that initial meeting, then we do. If not, we always book a secondary meeting to do the technical discovery and then when we're done with the technical discovery, we always book the um, client presentation. I will, I, I never send out a proposal document to a client over the email. To me, that's the best way to lose a client or lose the proposal because they're reading it. They have no idea what they're reading. Um, we always, I hate, I hate printing things out, but the one place we print a lot of things out in is our sales process because people can identify, they can write in it. It gives them something to touch and it gives them something to work from. I could be more technical in how I present it to them, but I found that some just presenting it in paper really works well for them. Um, 
usually the deal that we're presenting is somewhere between three and seven, eight thousand dollars a month. And so we're probably not going to get a signature in that, that initial meeting, but we're always ready for them to sign. So we have all of our contracts. We have all of our, you know, like basic onboarding um, packets ready to go. So we do our best to make sure that if they want to sign right then, they absolutely can. But that way they also have the ability to um, uh, sign it when they when they are ready to sign it in a, in the, over the next week or two as they have their management meetings. Um, be, be ready. Be ready for them to sign. If you're not ready, then you know, people are – yeah, you have to be ready. Um, uh, if the client – won't take the proposal delivery meeting. Um, that's absolutely right, Aaron. Um, if they won't take, if they won't take your meetings, they're probably not the right client. They're probably saving you a lot of headache. Um, I understand that this, this has also changed a lot. And the first year that we were doing this, we took literally anything that moved and had a checkbook. Um, and a few things that didn't have checkbooks. Um, but now we are also at a place where we're a lot more stable and growing as a company. And so we can be a lot more, we can afford to be a lot more uh, picky about who we choose. Um, also, it's really helped us identify what our ideal client is. Um, I have a current, our ideal client profile somewhere between 25 and 100 users, 10 to 100 million a year in revenue, uh, stable management team. So they have a, they have the ability to make these decisions um, using it. They can make decisions. Um, and I'm sorry, what, what was the revenue? Uh, between 10 and 100 million. Um, typically those that are under zero, like one, 1 million to 10 million is not something, if they come to us, we'll be willing to work with them, but we're probably not going to hunt under that because typically they're not willing to commit to the larger contracts that I want them to sign. Um, but maybe that's, um, and maybe that's just because I haven't figured out how to show value to the smaller, uh, smaller clients yet. Uh, Alex, no, I do not charge for the technical discovery. Um, I also don't give them a lot of fixes when I do the proposal or I don't, it's like, I'll tell them what needs to be fixed, but I don't tell them how to fix anything. I, and again, the, the, the proposal is never, it's not a nerd time. The reality is you want to show them the value that you can bring them as you, as a company. Um, but I mean, all the fixes happen in the um, the onboarding, in my opinion, and after that. Um, also, for us, we found that it's really important to stay as local as possible. Um, even though we can do things remotely, we're, we're trying to stay within about 30, 35 minutes of our office, which is about, for us, it's what they call the Inland Empire. So it's two counties, Riverside and San Bernardino counties. Um, Preferably, they have under five locations. So if they have nationwide locations, that's fine. We have several clients with locations across the country. Um, but their primary headquarters is in is in our backyard, so we can handle most of the work from there. Um, uh, Alex, as far as the time to get an average sign proposal, we're probably into 20 hours. So maybe a little more than that. That's That's pretty impressive. So... So what you're saying is from the time you do the presentation to the time you get the signed proposal back is sometimes less than a day or most times no, no, less than a day? 
I'm saying that's probably the time that I have invested into preparing for it. Oh, 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 okay. Well, that's still pretty impressive that you're putting so much time into something that isn't going to make you money. So why aren't you charging some type of uh, consultation fee or, or anything like that, like a lot of these companies are doing? I'll be honest, I'm not really doing an audit necessarily or analysis. I mean, I'm doing an analysis for my, for my benefit, so I know what I'm getting into. Um, so I have a hard time at the moment charging for an analysis that I feel is really for my benefit. Um, not to say that I wouldn't. If I was doing it solely for that purpose, then I probably would. Um, but my goal is to land the managed service contract. And I feel like talking about money before you need to talk about money is probably going to really put a sour taste in their mouth. Um, so that's, I haven't found a good way to charge for it, I guess. And I don't know if charging for the technical discovery is really a great idea. Um, I probably only spend about two hours doing the on-site technical discovery and the rest of it is going through the reports we get out of rapid fire tools. Um, and at that point, it, there's a lot of time invested into the proposal and the project or that part of it. But um, usually there's enough revenue generated off of that contract in a year that it's worth it. Well, not usually every time. And I'm not doing, I'm not doing it if there's not, if it's not worth it in the long run. Excellent. Now, how do you know, going back to your, your touches, you said it was, um, if I recall seven to 15 or so touches before you get mm-hmm. the meeting, Correct. how do you know when to, call them versus email them for these touches? It's a good question. At this point, we pretty much just alternate back and forth. Um, I wish I could say there was something really super refined for that. Um, we're, we're struggling a little bit with the CRM capabilities of Autotask at this point. Uh, I find that it's just not a really great CRM. I mean, it's really good for just, you know, it's like a very good 1.0 CRM, but now we're starting to have CRMs that can do, you know, like the HubSpots that can really tell you when people are interacting a lot more. Um, so that's, we have some consolidation we need to do there. Um, but we pretty much alternate. So we'll, uh, we'll schedule the phone calls and emails out. Um, we also try to always uh, add them on LinkedIn because then LinkedIn reminds them that we have to have a pending friend or a pending request. So it kind of keeps us in front of them all the time without, um, we don't necessarily have to do it. So it's just more things. Okay. And then, um, when, okay. Okay. So, so meetings one and two Mm -hmm. are strictly for information gathering pain points, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then meeting number three is the presentation. Correct. So how do you say, what do you think, Mr. Client? Uh, Want to write me a check today for five grand? You're just sign here. We actually, the, for the first time last month, had that happen. Uh, somebody wrote us a check for almost $10,000 on the spot, which was kind of a big change of pace. I haven't ever had that happen before. Uh, so I'm definitely pushing to be as ready as we were for that meeting. So that way we can have that happen more. So, uh, I was pretty, pretty jazzed about that. Um, and then Nicholas asked if, um, we have a sign off for before touching their systems. Technically we do. I don't think I've ever used it. 
I probably should use something like that more frequently. Um, and that's, I try to, for me, I'm a, I'm a typically a very relational person. So I have a very hard time doing the paperwork and some of that, um, backend stuff. So that's something that that's a personal thing that I'm working on. So, um, that's probably something that Ernest has extremely well done or extremely well documented. So I'm hoping to learn from him on that. Excellent. But, um, I also have a couple of, here's some of our flyers. I'll just show them real quick. Um, so we do a lot of um, ISP sales. That has been a nice, so we, we interact so much with the client's environment anyway, that if we can make a few percentage points on their internet as well, that's a nice ad. Um, this one's, you know, just different things we do here. Um, this is our managed services flyer. And so these are some of the lead behinds that we do. Um, and here, let me show you some of the, like the picture, what it looks like completely done. So this is our two, uh, two pocket folder. And this is what it looks like all, uh, all put together. So we have, you know, they're all cut properly here. So they all line up and it's all pretty like, so, uh, the other nice thing about having these is that they're nice enough that people feel bad throwing them away. And so we found these things on people's desks, you know, months after we stopped in and we, when we finally get the meeting. So yeah, we actually just go in and drop these off with the receptionist and ask them to give them to the person in charge of it. And then we end up following up with that person. And I'd say about 50% of the time they still have this folder even after three, four, five months. That's fantastic, man. All right. Well, <clears throat> does anyone have any other questions for BJ with the sales portion? Um, Eric, I saw the MailChimp. Uh, what do we include in our MailChimp? Okay. So here's, this is a technically a little more on the marketing side, but I'll, um, I'll share it. So we have several things that we do. We have a weekly newsletter that goes out to every single person on our MailChimp. Um, and we do all of our, um, client communication for uh, like maintenance schedules and everything through MailChimp. So we can tell if people are reading it, uh, that sort of thing. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, so we've been building, um, we have over 50 videos on it now. And so, uh, every time we make a new video that has to do with something that would be general useful to a client, we, um, we send it out to everyone. So here's a link to that if I can get it to go. I'll, I'll post a link here in a second. Um, most, uh, Dominic, the, all those docs are things that we've made um, or had somebody made. So we didn't actually make these in-house. Uh, we had, we had a, one of our teams make them. And then, um, Carlos, we now, actually do participate. Was this document like a fiver or did you pay big money to have this made? Oh, I paid a lot more for this than five bucks. Um, so when we had our website and we did a complete rebranding about two years ago now. And so that's where we got the logo and everything redone. And so as part of our website redesign, it was a couple hundred bucks extra for them to redo all of our documentation as well. So. Uh, so Paul, yes, we do. 
Um, typically when we go in and get a business card, it's less that we get the business card of the person that matters and it's more that we can get their email. We know what their email formatting looks like. Uh, again, I know this sounds kind of funny. We're not necessarily looking to get the person's name right off the bat, but between LinkedIn and, um, like data.com, we can almost always determine who is, who do we need to talk to? And if we know what their email format is, we can guess their email formatting <laughs> like 99% of the time. Uh, and yes, LinkedIn is definitely a gift from the gods when it comes to business to business sales. Um, and Alex, uh, the proposal. So the proposal that we're referencing, it's, it's onboarding and managed services. So to me, it's, you don't do managed services without the onboarding. It's one thing. Carlos, I can't hear you. You're muted. Um, Sorry, I, I, I was making sign language. There's, it's all okay. the same. You can't, you can't yeah. do managed service without the onboarding, and doing onboarding without managed service is kind of pointless and losing money and time. Exactly. The onboarding is extremely time-intensive. Um, Caleb, typically I charge double first month. Uh, because it's it's a lot of extra time. Um, we have up to this point said one month for onboarding, but as we're doing more of it, we're realizing that it's taking more time than we initially thought to do it right. And then after reading so much of Ernest's stuff on Discord, honestly, I find myself pushing it out that, you know, just setting the expectation for two, three months starts being a lot better because it gives you time to really get to know the client. That first couple of months, you have a lot more, um, it's just, it's just better to take a little bit more time and get to know the client better. Uh, so, so that is a, a great segue to move into um, the onboarding portion. All right. Your turn, Ernest. Now I can stop <laughs> talking for a minute. <laughs> so I, I am going to, I am going to spotlight Ernest. Um, I'm going to uh, launch a new poll. Um, so that way everyone can uh, answer some questions for us so we can see, you know, what you guys are doing today with onboarding. And so we can also pick on BJ a little bit. Um, so while everyone's doing that, Ernest, I mean, okay, so customer sign. So, so, so BJ did his job. Customer signs the, the, the contract. Here's a check for 10 grand. Now what? Well, briefly before we jump into that, um, I'm going to show this off, and I'll send out the link to this as well, um, so that you guys can can have it. Um, but this is the IT assessment confidentiality agreement that we provide to clients uh, during the sales process, as uh, before we run the rapid fire tools. And this is set up as a as a template in DocuSign, so it's real easy to you know the the blanks are already there. I just plug in the customer's information and send it. The reason that this is important is not because it covers me. This document has nothing to do with me. If you read through it, you discover that this document has everything to do with the client and with their confidential information and how we use their confidential information and how we'll destroy their confidential information when they ask for it. Um, that's why it's important because it's showing to the client during the sales process that uh, you are valuing them and that you're, you're valuing their, um, their infrastructure and what they're doing. So, and this, by the way, is, is 
directly out of Rapid Fire Tools. This is something that they provide as a template that I've taken and modified slightly. Uh, so that's that's all this is. This is directly out of Rapid Fire Tools and something that they provide. Uh, but that's that's why we have that document. That's why it exists. So onboarding, onboarding. Well, before I get into onboarding, let me briefly tell you my my story because it it directly relates to why we do onboarding the way that we do it. Um, 10 years ago, like I said, I knew I wanted to get into technology running my own business. I, I started initially uh, right out of high school as uh, serving 911 communication centers. And so dealing with mission critical infrastructure was something that was really cool. I loved it. Um, when we moved to Oregon, uh, I started working for a small break fix company that then converted to a managed service provider. So as a, a part owner of that company, uh, I started, I actually put all of the processes in place and that's where I started my documentation and did a lot of experimenting to learn about the MSP process. Um, then I left there and moved to a, one of the largest managed service providers in the state of Oregon. And, uh, these guys from the outside looked like they had it all together. Lots of clients, lots of employees, everything was phenomenal. Um, the, challenge they had is when I started, they had no tools, no RMM, no nothing, but they had great customer communication and their clients loved them because of it. So even though they had terrible tools, but great communication and interaction with the clients, their customers, um, they had, they were very successful in their own right because of that. So when I started out on my own, there were some things that were very important to me. The first one is client experience first. So everything that we do and everything that's involved in our company is based around what the end user and what the owner and what the client uh, cares about. And that's, it's, it's their experience, how they interact with us, how they see us. Uh, clients care about the relationship. Do you know me as a, as a client? Uh, don't we love that with our vendors? That's that's one of the things we love about you know working with Ray in, in the Discord channels because he's there. We can ping him. We can ask him questions. Uh, there's there's the relationship piece of it. And so customers care about the relationship. They want a partner, not a vendor. A lot of MSPs are very focused on here's the technology we provide, not the relationship, not the partnership that we're providing to you. Uh, clients care about responsiveness. Are you there when I need you? Clients care about consistency, both in how you respond to them and in how their systems run. Um, and so for us, to, to, or for me, to meet those points, the relationship, the responsiveness, and the consistency means I had to outsource my busy work. And so that's why the help desk and the network operations center is run through Continuum uh, because it keeps our focus, both me and the techs, on the clients, not the technology, not managing the day-to-day -day busy work. Uh, so from the onboarding perspective, our focus is, is to provide low impact. Um, all of our systems and software has got to be lightweight so that the customers can continue doing what they're doing. Uh, we care very heavily about consistency and security. Um, prevention, we don't want problems to happen. And that's why we go through a three-month onboarding process is because we want to own everything technical at that client. Uh-oh, Ernest, your, uh, your sound just cut out. I don't know what happened. Ernest. <clears throat> okay, so it's not me. 
no. So, so until he can't hear us, I'll inject this. And this is something I wanted to say uh, while he was going through. And that is uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got in this arena uh, was from my accountant. And he said, I try to be my client's consigliere. And that's what you should do as well. You should try to be your client's consigliere. Is it isn't just about technology. It is about creating a relationship. Carlos is speaking and I can't hear him or... Hey, we hear you now. Hey, we hear oh. you now. There we go. Sorry. It's okay. We, we missed like the last two minutes. So it was like... Oh, I'm sorry about that. We were, we were trying to decide if we could lip read fast enough. To <laughs> so, uh, I'll back up a little bit. So um, we really focus heavily on... that. Uh, my, my headset went to sleep. It tends to do that. Um, so we focus heavily on security. We focus heavily on prevention. And the way that we focus on prevention is by owning everything from internet and phones to domain and web hosting to network hardware and power distribution to the client's own internal processes. Um, that's why we take three months to onboard a client. That's why it takes so long because wouldn't it be amazing? You're all business owners. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone came in from uh, one of your vendors came in and gave you an outside perspective of, Hey, here's where your bottlenecks are. Here's where, here's a, an employee who's stuck doing something manually that could be automated. And so as our, our clients, IT experts, as their in-house IT department, if you will, we take on that responsibility of, of going through that during the onboarding process and really sitting down with each individual end user and each employee to find out what, what they do and how they do it um, and how we can improve it for them. So sometimes it's they're using a piece of software that's, that could be better, that they could do, that they could use a, a different piece of software. Um, and it, when possible, we look to build relationships and partnerships with those software vendors and with those companies so that we're making some MRR off of it and we're experts in it and we know how it works uh, so that we can help the client with their internal processes. And by doing that, we eliminate the majority of our support calls. I mean, when something comes in, it is an actual problem. It's a, my outlook stopped working this morning, or it's something that's a real issue. It's not, it's not, uh, we've prevented the majority of, of the challenges and processes uh, that come in. Yeah, and, and Eric, you're, that's a great question. So if you're out the help desk and knock is outsourced, what are you doing and your tech's doing on a day-to-day -day, um, outside of the sales and relationship building? that is what we're doing on a day to day. It is, it's all about relationship building and it's all about the documentation. That is what our focus is. Um, we let, let find the best of the best to, uh, to run, to, to operate the, the, the back end of things. And what I mean by that is, is not necessarily the continuum's the best help desk or the best network operations center, but that the backup systems that we're using, the, uh, antivirus, anti-malware is the best that we could find. It's the best that we can see. And we're constantly looking for new, constantly evaluating new stuff to see if there's something better out there that, that's lighter weight, that's easier, that prevents more problems. So. Uh, yes, it, it was announced that Continuum was being, now Continuum just, they moved from one private equity company to another private equity company. It's just, part of normal process. Uh, as far as I see a lot of questions here about rapid fire tools. Um, 
rapid fire tools, I do not use the exchange HIPAA or SQL modules, but my clients are, are very small. Um, we have a different focus than, than a lot of you. Our focus is specifically on clients that have one to 30 employees and who are in that, that, that require specialized um, security and, and compliance requirements. Um, let's see here. So rapid fire tools, uh, I put together a video. I'll have to see if I can dig that up, um, on how we use rapid fire tools. So I will post a link to that, um, shortly as well. Um, as, so as the yeah, continuum getting purchased, not a, not a huge deal. It's not a, it's just something that happens when your company gets to the size that continuum is. All right. So, uh, onboarding. I've got a very massive document. I'm not going to show or share the whole thing. I will share the first uh, piece of it and you can take this and, and do what you will with it. Let me share screen here because it's the, the process is very specific to our business and how we do it. Not the way you do business. The way you do business is going to be different. You're going to have a different client focus, grab onto that, use that um, to, to develop the, the documents yourselves. Um, Statement of purpose. So our onboarding purpose is to, uh, I always put a statement of purpose at the top of all of our documents. That way somebody can glance over this and understand why this document exists and why it's important. Um, oh, thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. Awesome. Uh, statement of purpose. This, this is the, the what's in it for me. Uh, unless you provide your technicians and your clients a what's in it for me, they, they won't do it. Uh, there's, there's just a simple fact of human knowledge uh, and, and humanity. Um, if there's nothing in it for me, they're not going to do it. So statement of purpose is very important. Uh, what we're going through here is, you know, our goal is to establish rapport with each end user. We want to learn in depth about them, their process, their organizations, their goals. And then we want to develop a plan, and this is key, to integrate, automate, and simplify their workflow. Uh, the results, this is what's going to come out of the end of the onboarding process. We will have rapport with each end user. Now, what that means is that they know us. Uh, it means that they, we know them, they know us. There's some establishment of trust that has, that's happened there with each of the end users. And that's so we, important to make sure everyone knows, likes, and trusts you. Exactly. Uh, and this is also kind of, this is a, a really important thing that I found as well. Find out at least one personal fact about each end user, kids, names, favorite sports, et cetera. We document this for the team and the help desk, the continuum help desk staff. They will use this, especially when a customer calls in and they're frustrated and their things aren't working right and they need help now. And so the help desk staff is really good at redirecting that customer's angst but they can't do it if they don't have the documentation, if they don't have something to help establish that relationship. And that's what having this information does. It distracts the end user from the pain that they're in. Uh, In-depth knowledge about the organization's goals and plans. Where are they going? What are they doing? Uh, we've got a document we fill out in IT glue that that's called client goals. That's that especially for that. Um, and it's, it's just a paragraphs after paragraphs of here's where they came from, where they're headed, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, documentation of each user's bottleneck. So we talked about this briefly earlier, but employees have complaints. And what's, what's amazing is how much visibility an employee has within the company because they're in it every day. Uh, so they, 
they, they know where the bottlenecks are. And if you talk to them and listen to them, which a lot of times the owners won't do because they're tired of the complaining, you can find out a lot about the company and, uh, and find out a lot about how that, how you can help them. Hey, um, hey, Ernest. Yes, sir. So where are you storing all of this documentation? Are you putting it all in IT glue or something else? So with the, that's a great question. The, we're really, really, really hoping that Continuum comes out with IT glue integration. I've heard that it was something that in their recent internal meetings was mentioned by every single department. <laughs> so right now we're having to store it in two places. We're putting it in IT glue for ourselves, and we're also putting it into Continuum's documentation system. So first into IT glue, then we copy it over into Continuum. And I, we go through and sync those up occasionally because uh, they do get out of sync. It is a manual process. It is a bottleneck within our own, our own stuff. Um, so our, our PSA, what about your PSA or CRM system? So our, our PSA system uh, is a cello and it is used purely for ticketing. That's, that's all it's used for. Uh, and the CRM system is used for, it's just used by myself for, for as a sales tool. Uh, we're using Agile for uh, CRM and, and sales processing. Uh, and Robert, we, we don't have a minimum user requirement because all of our, our processes are so highly automated that I can be successful and profitable with a one person company as well as up to about a 30. Now I don't go above 30 because once you hit that level, you start dealing with a lot of internal politics, middle managers, that sort of thing. And that was what we were trying to avoid. We want to directly work with the end users and directly work with, with smaller companies, uh, which is in our area, a highly overlooked market. Um, so we're different to MSP. That doesn't mean we're necessarily doing it the way you do it or uh, the right way for you. Um, BJ's got a fantastic process going there with, with the larger companies and, it's going to be a little different from place to place. Uh, no, I do not have a minimum spend per client. Um, we'll have clients that are as low as $90 a month who come on board. Uh, and, and they, they turn out the reason that those work out for us is because they become passionate, uh, passionate about our service and they help spread the word to the larger companies that they work with. Also, they're very easy. <laughs> they don't call in. <laughs> uh, and when they do, they get the help desk and it's some really simple, hey, uh, how do I open a new email in, in Outlook kind of thing. Um, so documentation uh, and installation of the applications used. We go through, again, each individual workstation with each end user and sit down with them for 30 to 45 minutes. And what's critical here, what's important is this word right here that says used. Because you can use tools to find out what's installed on the system, but do they actually use the software that's installed on the system? Um, so we want to find out what software they use and how they use it. And we use that to develop the business continuity plans. Uh, this is kind of an example of what, what that might look like within our documentation. What's the name of the workstation? Who's the primary user and what's their role? And what software do they use and how important is it to their business? So when the system dies, because at some point, you know it's gonna happen, a hard drive is gonna fail, something random is gonna happen, and this computer is gonna fail. When it does, we want the documentation to know that we've gotta get QuickBooks on there, on their new system fast. We've gotta get Adobe Reader on their system fast. Napa Tracks, not very important. They don't really log into it that often. So we can deploy without that and come back that night or later in the day 
um, to to put this uh, to put that additional software in place. Because it, once again, as the customer's IT partner, as their business partner, we want their employees to work and to always be working and uh, rapidly getting something up. If we can get a workstation up with just QuickBooks and Adobe Reader and do it in 30 minutes rather than having to wait 45 to get tracks on, that's, that's more time that they are, uh, that they're able to work. Uh, now for the first couple of uh, weeks, I've got things laid out here on a day by day basis. And then after that, it just goes into processes and the busy work of making it happen. Uh, so day zero, we're going to find out and get all of our clients set up. Now WHMCS is our, uh, our billing system and our, our client front end. Uh, we're going to you know, generate our ARM and install files. We're going to go through the day zero, which is a Wednesday before we go on site, we're going to go through and figure out uh, and get a list of things, do a little prep work ahead of time, starting their domain transfer, starting their email migration if they have it, et cetera. Uh, and then after the client closes, so after they at end of after end of day for them, once their office is closed, we'll go through and start doing server cleanup and installing the RMM on the servers so that it's in place. We don't do that during business hours because that could make an impact or cause a problem or we have to reboot or something. Um, so after hours for that. Day one, this is probably the biggest factor our clients love us for. We like to bring food. <laughs> uh, we're on site 30 minutes before the client opens. This is on purpose because we want to see who shows up. We want to know who's there, who the first person is through the door so that we know who to reach out to. If there's something that's on site that, that we need to take care of first thing in the morning, if we need them to reboot something, uh, this also tells us how they operate. Um, do they have, uh, you know, workers that show up in trucks beforehand and go into the back? Do they have, you know, all of those, these types of little details are important for the person who's going to be, uh, taking care of it. So what time is it? The time for lunch. <laughs> um, uh, so we're documenting that. Who's the first person in the door? We're taking notes on their opening process, where they go, what they do. Uh, it just, it, some of this stuff seems benign. Why do we care about their blinds and op their open signs and that sort of thing? Because it tells us a lot more about the company, about who they are and what's important to them. Because what's important to them is what they're going to be doing first thing in the morning. Uh, as the employers walk in the door, we greet them. We identify ourselves. We've got, you know, the branded with the shirts. Um, we get their names and figure out who their primary workstations are. We'll wander the office for a little bit as users settle in. This is important because you don't want to jump right in and dive into the middle of a customer's workflow, especially a brand new client. They're going to hate you. Well, it seems like his headset timed out again. So that's pretty damn brilliant, though. That 30-minute thing, that's... To, is to listen. There you go. Am I back again? Yes, you, know you just came back in. Carlos, man, I agree. This is... I'm, I'm totally stealing all of the stuff. This is phenomenal. Can I mean, we just have the first... Can, I, I know you said you're only going to give us a little bit. Can we just have all 90 days? That'd be so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ernest, uh, as a guy that doesn't share any of his internal process, you're sharing an awful lot. And thank you. That's amazing. 
<laughs> You're welcome. It's, I, I like to, uh, I, I know that it's taken a lot of time and effort for me to put this together, but I think this is important and I think it's something that's missing in our industry. And especially if I can help people across, if I can help people, if, uh, you know, across the, the country, um, uh, improve their businesses and processes because MSPs tend to focus on the technology side and not the people side. Uh, so yeah, you're welcome. Uh, all right. So this is also important. Really, really important. Listen, we're listening for, for what's going on because just sitting in an office, you'll overhear all kinds of wonderful little comments and it really gives you an insight into the company and where potential bottlenecks are. Uh, we meet with the primary contact after they've had a chance to settle in for the day. This is typically like 10 or 11 o'clock once they've had their first couple of cups of coffee and gotten through their email. Uh, you'll also notice this is on a Thursday. So we're, we're wrapping down towards the end of the week here. Um, we're going to go over the mailbox list from Skykick, identify active users, shared mailboxes, et cetera. Uh, it gives them a great starting point uh, for, hey, why is that email address still in there? That person hasn't been here for five years. Uh, got it, Steve. Uh, day two, uh, and then we just go around to each of the workstations and we start this process. And this process could take a couple of days depending on, on how many end users there are. Uh, day two, that's when we start troubleshooting because you know when you install your RMM, antivirus, any malware, it's going to cause something somewhere to happen. Uh, we build that time into day two, which is a Friday to sit down and do that. Uh, and that's also when we install the backup software. And then Monday is, the following Monday is writing documentation. Clients don't want you on site on a Monday. They just don't. You don't want to be on site on a Monday. So uh, if the client calls about any issues, we go on site to take care of them for the first couple of weeks. We want them to see us and continue to build that rapport. Um, so I will go ahead and provide this document and send it out before uh, I wrap up here. What questions do we have? I, I think the, the biggest questions are going to be, uh, can, can I have your documentation? Please take my money. <laughs> um, you could very easily sell that documentation to us and I know I'd be willing to buy it. <laughs> yeah. Th ser seriously think about that, Ernest. And okay. it sounds like many, many people here uh, would love for you to continue. And I would love for you to continue as well. However, um, we, we just don't have time. We've got two more people to get through and only 35 minutes left to go. However, if Ernest has time and if anyone else wants to stay once we are done, then we could continue this conversation. However, Ernest, my, my boss in the chat just said, take my money. So there you go. <laughs> there we go. Pam Felix, that's his boss. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I, I, I do commend you because this is phenomenal information that you've shown us. I mean, just the, the fact that you've got it, this is what you do on day one, like mind blown. So kudos. It's very, been very, very helpful for us. Uh, as far as focus for smaller clients, how many touches does it take to sign? So for us, it's, uh, it depends on the client. It really does. If it's a smaller one or two person shop, they typically sign on the first. We walked in the door. No one else has walked in the door. Where do we sign? Um, for the larger companies, it, it takes significant. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it can take three, four, four trips out there. 
Excellent. <clears throat> and how, how many, um, do, do you have like a two or three meeting process like BJ does? Yes, it's typically a, an introduction and then a, a technical review, and then we'll come back and, uh, and, and provide a proposal. Again, it's important to do that in person. Uh, we will send the proposal out via email, typically as we're arriving at the customer site, uh, just because they like that. They like to be able to see it, look at it, and even though we've got a physical printed out copy for them, they, they like it electronically as well. So. And, and I just noticed that John Hellman has his hand up. Uh, he hit the raise hand button. I'm going to lower it. John, if you have a question that uh, has not been answered yet, please let us know. That was for no. Okay. <laughs> um, excellent. So, so Ernest, I, I really do. I appreciate this and I am going to have to pick your brain later. Um, Carlos. My man. I'm, af I'm afraid I am not anywhere near as interesting as the first two fellas. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that's not the case. I, I'm already interested to hear more about what you do, just from some of your comments. Uh, well, Stephen said uh, to, to focus on the uh, service delivery aspect of things. What do we do? How do we do it? Um, so I'll start with we use ConnectWise for uh, client management and LabTech or ConnectWise Automate, whatever they call it today, for our RMM. Um, so things that we do on a regular basis, things that we have uh, the RMM automated, uh, not just on each month, but sometimes daily, are things like uh, on day two, uh, the, the Yahoo toolbar thing, where it's important to someone, well, I'm sorry. Yahoo Toolbar has no bit, no purpose in a real business environment, and I have scripts that automatically detect that you have the Yahoo Toolbar, and out the door it goes. I don't care. Uh, because we try to own the, the IT process, just, um, just as Ernest uh, mentioned, and if we manage all of it from start to finish, our tickets per endpoint are way down, right? It's, it is, our tickets per endpoint quickly diminish after onboarding because we start getting rid of all the problems. Uh, so users that have uh, things that we do with the RMM, let, let me back up. Uh, we check, uh, the RMM gets deployed at night. We don't want to impact the, uh, the daily process, just as Ernest uh, mentioned. We do 90% of our work at night. Again, if, if I steal 10 minutes from user X during the business day that isn't required for that user to get work done, I'm taking productivity away from that business owner, and that means that my bill is no longer X. My bill is X plus the lack of productivity from that user. So uh, we start work primarily when our customers are finishing. Um, we do What do we do during the day? Things that either are sales or marketing related and on-site calls. Uh, we find that coming into the site, even though we can do this remotely, right? Like, oh, we need a new user created. Well, you know, I'm going to be there today anyways. Let me go take care of that there. Um, we can do that remotely, of course. But the touchy-feely aspect of them seeing you on a regular basis and they know that they're going to have someone there pretty regularly, 
keeps that relationship going. Anyhow, uh, back to the service delivery aspect. Uh, wake up, open the RMM. Dashboard tells me everything that I need to know at a glance. So that the real painful aspects are in red. A backup didn't complete. Uh, antivirus didn't complete a scan or found something wonky. Uh, these are things that we deal with first thing in the morning, right? We wake up, this gets looked at. Uh, then we look at performance reports on a daily basis, make sure that we're maintaining a level of service above our own threshold. Our threshold, uh, LabTech has a, a reporting system that gives you percentages, and we want all of our clients to be at 95% or above overall. So you could have 20 endpoints all in 19 are, are at 100% and you're going, yes, and then you have one endpoint that is at 0% and is causing you a problem in your report because we ought to, you know, part of what the customer gets on a daily basis are those reports. And most of them actually are starting to look at them now. Most of them are looking at them and going, hey, how come we drop from 95 to 94%? And aren't we trending already in that, in that area? So what do we need you for? Well, you know, by the way, you, the reason you need us is because we're doing all of this in the background. Um, so, uh, uh, let's see, we show value to the client with those reports. Uh, those reports include specifically, Hey, this is where we are before we started with, you know, before you started with us, we'll send them those reports before we start doing work. And inevitably those reports are showing usefulness of somewhere less than 70%. And after we start onboarding, and start rolling things out, we climb those things and we maintain them high. The idea being uh, they see that we're continually working to, to maintain their network where it needs to be, right? Um, uh, how do you reach out after a standard service request? Well, that depends. Uh, most of the time it's by email, sometimes it's by a call. Uh, if it needs interaction with the user's desktop, we call or, or we email and say, when specifically can I do this on your system? I don't want to interrupt your business flow unless you know that I'm going to do so because barging in on the, on the user is, is disrupting their, their business flow, number one. Number two, it can create um, embarrassing moments. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've remoted in, in a, I've hit the, the remote in button before inadvertently and been on someone's remote session and seen things that I then never wanted to see. Um, you know, things that scar your corneas like you can never get out of there. Yeah. And so if, if you reach out and say, Hey, I need to remote it. You, you sent in this ticket for this printer this morning. I need to reach out and any the remote in and take care of that for you. Can I remote in now? Oh no. Great, I'll wait. How long do I need to wait? Great. Oh, I'm good now. Great. Now I'm connected. Now I whatever embarrassing thing they had on the screen is gone. My eyes and the eyes of the techs that work for us don't have to be scarred that way. Um, that plus, sometimes it is an embarrassing thing. Sometimes it's uh, uh, regulated things that we have no business knowing, right? So if they're dealing with a credit card or a social security number or uh, health information, if we barge in without notice, we might be seeing things that we're not supposed to see. And then we have to deal with compliance in that level, which 
adds more headache to my business and adds more cost. And I don't want that. So it's easier to just preemptively say, Hey, I need to remote in assuming that needs to be happen during the day. Um, SLAs, it depends on the, on the level of the of, of, uh, MSP for the client. We have two flavors right now. We have the basics and everything. Uh, the basics have an SLA of two days. Everything has an SLA of four hours. We try to keep everything under four hours anyway because we've managed to automate things to the point where, I mean, my, you know, my uh, ticket board is sitting pretty empty most of the time or pretty close to empty or pending things that are out of my control. So if one of my... A uh, basics MSP client sends me a ticket right now and I'm getting done with this and I have time to do it. Well, I'm not going to wait two days to do it. I'm going to try to provide as, uh, as proactive a, a solution for them as I can to, to make sure that they're happy with us. Right. And, you know, and maybe that quicker response time teases them into, Hey, you know, if they're doing this good for us on the basics, they could do even better under the full services. And maybe we can follow that up by upgrading them later and say, hey, you know, all these tickets you see, we, we're being very proactive uh, in getting them taken care of for you. Um, so the actual you know, time it takes to respond to a ticket depends on how busy we are. But for the all you can eat, everything is included is four hours or under. We definitely have to have an email to them saying or a call to them saying, yes, how can we address this for you? Now, great. No, not now. Whenever, just we we have to have that done. Uh, the uh, basics, if you will, it's the two day thing, and sometimes it takes a day. Um, how do you actually accomplish SLAs? What's in place to handle you that, and it can be automated somehow? Yes, uh, SLAs are handled on. ConnectWise, we have a, a dashboard that tells us uh, the age of a ticket and classifies it between it being an all-you-can-eat client or a basics client. Uh, we have an email address that the client uh, would send tickets to, uh, or they can call the office. Either one of those will get a ticket generated for them, and we handle the SLA based on age, based on, on, on the type of client and the age of the ticket. Sometimes, like I said, the basics, you know what? It's, it's 4.55 and the gym is calling me. I'll call Jimmy tomorrow. That's what they pay for. Um, do I have any willing, any templates? Sorry, no, I don't have any templates. I didn't prepare well enough. Uh, I've been on the road for uh, a week. And uh, what, what little I, I share, I would have had to do real work to get that done. And I'm very sorry. Er Ernest did it like, he puts us to shame. Um, the rest of this stuff is all done with automating through, at least for us, through lab tech. So scripts to install software, whenever possible, I do that through lab tech scripting. Uh, script to uninstall software, whenever possible, uh, I do that through lab tech scripting so that we can look at what the client uh, has installed if they, for some reason, are allowed to install things, which most of the time we try to minimize that. Whenever possible, we take away the rights of the user to do that. And I'm sure the rest of us do that here. Uh, if, if you're not doing it, you're doing yourself a favor. You're creating yourself more tickets than you need. However, there's some softwares to this day that will not run properly without local admin rights, which means the user gets to install junk. Uh, 
Um, so especially during onboarding, all of the crapware that's out there, we have scripts for almost everything to get rid of that. And we let them know ahead of time, hey, look, all this crap is going because this is not productive and it's costing you time at the, you know, at the employee's level. And it's going to cause us problem and we're here to prevent the problem to begin with. So uh, we have a question here. Please ensure clients are still aligned to your process and their MSA months years later. Um, we're continually managing their network. So there ain't much that, you know, there ain't much that they, that they do that I don't know about already. Am I, did I answer that to your satisfaction? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not understanding the question, right? No, I think you understood the question perfectly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, we don't sit on our laurels and wait for things to happen. We are proactively taking care of the network uh, to that end. I don't know if you're doing, if any of the rest of you are doing this or not, but we eat our own dog food. That means before we patch our clients' servers and workstations, we patch our own. We have in-house lab uh, that runs lots of the sim, same similar stuff to make sure that the patches, be it Microsoft or, or you know, software specific, don't break our clients' uh, ability to work today or tomorrow morning when they come in. Uh, we schedule our maintenance windows at night. We do most of our work at night to make sure that, again, they're not impacted. I already said that. Um, uh, our RMM is continually just going through either software that isn't listed as what black or white if it's white listed we're okay if it's blacklisted and it gets tr it triggers an automatic uninstall um and the software that isn't listed we're continually scouring going through okay this is good this is good this is bad and we just continually move things to where they need to be so that then if it's bad we also create custom all and all the scripting is custom so we just create custom scripts to uninstall the stuff we don't want on the, on the client end uh the idea being, you know, we're, we're admittedly a small company. We, we have two full-time folks. We have uh, four uh, part-timers that we call on to do work for us as needed. Um, these are all subcontractors. And the only way you get to be to where we are with as small a company as we have is to squeeze as much efficiency out of the process as possible. So uh, I think, uh, Oh, uh, BJ said something about continually looking at what's new and, and, and improving or it might have been earnest. And we're always in that cycle. Part of what we do during the day when we don't have hard things to do is, well, you know, we're, we're pretty set on this backup software, but is this new thing better? And can we, can we generate better value for the client with that software than with what we have? The only way to find that out is to test in-house, right? Or to get a demo unit and test, you know, within our own processes. And if it is, then great, we're going to start phasing things out. But uh, similarly to Ernest, we we own the firewall. We own uh, uh, content filtering through OpenDNS. Uh, we own the antivirus. We own the malware prevention. We, to stay on top of it, to just keep, it's just keeping the, the bad things out. I, I mean, I think half the problem, half the, 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 half the battle, I should say, is 
preventing problems to begin with. And if you prevent the problems to begin with, then you can focus on making things better for the client. Okay. So, Hey, you know, you're looking at perhaps going to the next version of the software. Can't let, let's set up a test environment. Let's test it before we go live. Let's make sure that this is going to work out for you. Let's make sure that the menu structures aren't going to change so much that you can't get your work done the day we go live or for the week after. Right. So, there's a, a lot of a lot of weird or, or fine stuff that happens on the back end so far as service delivery. And it just depends on, uh, on, on the client specifically because, you know, some clients have a lot of software's client specific. Napa tracks is for uh, service shops. Well, you know, QuickBooks, heavily is going to be more on the accountants, right? So almost everybody wants QuickBooks anyways, but it's not across the shop. It's only one or two people. Uh, let's see. Do I see a question here? I missed a question here. Yes. Um, did, did you answer the question about change management? Uh, I didn't see a question. About do, you, do you have a change management process in place um, to document when changes are made for client systems? All inside of LabTech. I mean, inside of uh, ConnectWise. So yes, we manage uh, anything that needs to be changed gets documented. Hey, this needs to happen. And when it happens, time is entered in ConnectWise under a separate ticket for it saying this happened and this is how, you know, how we got it done so that we can at least roll back and go, oh, when that problem start? Yeah, that started on, on, on Tuesday? Well, that's fun because we, we made a change to the software on Monday night. Let's let's look and see if we miss something in the test, right? Was there something else? Did I miss uh, something? Else? Did you talk about the quarterly meetings and site reviews and all that? No, no, I didn't. Uh, that's actually some. That's some of the stuff we do during the day, right? So, uh, we we def we have a yearly budgeting meeting, and that typically happens towards. Uh, August, September, because inevitably they're not going to meet with their accountant to find out what their projections are for the year until October, because people don't start closing things down until about then. Right. Um, then we have quarterly meetings to, you know, we establish the budget. We establish what we're going to do in Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And as we go through those uh, through the year, we're going to meet quarterly to, okay, I know that you don't want that you don't want to spend money right now because you want to wait until October to, to because you got to wait for your account to tell you, yeah, you made money. But guess what? You've been making money for the last 20 years. I guarantee you're going to make money this year. Let's not pile all of the work on October through December. It's just not going to work. Right. So we have those meetings to push the the at least the IT budget agenda forward. Hey. Your switches are 10 years old. We talked about replacing half of them in Q1 and half of them in Q2. It is Q1. We need to get that on order. Yeah, no, no, not next week. Q1 started today. Let's get it on order today so that we can install them next week to prevent everything piling on at the end of the year. Because if you let them to their own devices, they will pile everything on at the end of the year. At least that's been our experience. We've been in doing this for, I think, 14 years. And... It wasn't until we started doing the proactive MSP thing saying, no, 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 you've been making money. Let's project things through the year so that we don't have 
all this heap of work uh, that that we were able to start managing some of the rush towards the end of the year. And there's still a rush. I don't know if you, I don't know about you guys, but we still have a rush at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a, a lot of us do because people are like, oh, I better spend a bunch of money so I can write off some extra taxes. Exactly. Like, oh, su- surprise, I made money this year. <laughs> you know, never mind the fact that you've been making money for the last 20 or 30 years you've been in business. I get it. I'm, I'm a business owner. I get it. I'm always uncertain. I look at my books and I go, do I really want to? And then I have to bite the bullet because if I expect my clients to follow through with the same budget that I asked them to follow through, I have to follow through with mine, right? Eat your own dog food in all senses of the word, not just in technology, but in everything part business related. Uh, what I was saying be, when, when Ernie went, uh, uh, when muted the first time and that is that the one of the greatest pieces of advice I got was from my accountant when we started doing this and that is become your client's consigliere um, it takes a lot of time and effort and you have to actually care about them but if you become their consigliere they're going to come to you but with questions not just about technology they're going to come to you with questions about everything else and if you know we're in a privileged position that we at least I don't know. I know we do and several of our colleagues in the same line of business are, we don't just focus on one type of business. We, Hey, look, you're willing to pay my fees. I'm willing to work for you. Sort of. Uh, (laughs) I, I I won't do work for politicians flat out. We'll not do it. Um, I find them to be the scum of the earth, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Anyhow, uh, if, if, by virtue of being in so many types of businesses, we see business process. And if we pay attention, we can learn a lot about business processes that, that may carry from one industry to another. And they may be completely unrelated, but ultimately quality control is quality control is quality control. And if you're seeing a problem in the quality control department of one of your clients, you can say, hey, by the way, you know, Mrs. CEO, or, you know, I'm seeing this over here and I realize this is not technology related. And I'm just telling you that I've seen this many other places dealt with this way. And most of the time they listen and take your advice. And now you just became even more valuable than just the IT team. You became part of the business team. And ultimately they're in business to make money just like we are. So if you help them make money, they're going to love you more, which means ultimately you're going to make more money because they keep on loving you. Right. So, uh, so become, you try to become, if you actually care, become that, that your clients consigliere. If, if you do, you're going to see, you're going to reap the benefits of it. Um, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to bring up the last couple of questions and unfortunately we'll have to move on Carlos. Um, because we do, we do only have a short bit of time left. Um, so, so Carlos, do you have account managers or any, any salespeople or anything like that? Or is that you? That's uh, the boss and I, right? You know, okay. uh, like I said, we, we are, in, we are intentionally a small company. Uh, we've had employees before it hasn't really worked out properly and I am sick and tired of dealing with that headache. Um, so basically we've capped ourselves in growth intentionally because we just don't want to deal with the headache of employees, at least not full-time employees. Um, so yes, Pam and I are 
CEOs, CTOs, sales, technical, this, that, the other, every possible thing you can imagine. Yes, we are just as most of you folks are. Um, at the same time, we know that we're not accountants. We hire an accountant. We know we're not lawyers. We hire lawyers. We know we're not, um, you know, designers. We hire designers to to make our marketing stuff. So you you have to offload some of the busy work. You have to offload as much of the busy ways you can possibly afford to offload because that gives you time to do the things that you're good at, which hopefully is developing the business and being technology savvy. Carlos, how do you take, how do you take a vacation? I don't. <laughs> uh, we take vacations sort of, um, wherever we go, we have to be connected. Uh, we have a couple of client, uh, a couple of friends that have MSPs as well that are really close friends to, of ours and we rely on them. Basically we send tickets their way and they close them for us. They take care of anything that we need to be taken care of. At the same time, that's how they tend to take vacations. They take, hey, we're, we're planning on going on vacation these weeks. Can you cover for us? Sure. No problem. But it takes it takes a special relationship to be able to do that because I don't trust my business to just us, just anyone. I have, I, I have high standards and so do they. So that, that's how we deal with vacation time. So every morning we spend a couple hours doing work and then we go do whatever we want. Now, um, how much of your day-to-day stuff is automated? All of it, as much as I can. <laughs> I can't tell you exactly because I've, we've, any process that we find ourselves doing more than a couple of times, we find a way of automating. There's just no, there's no good reason for us to continually do the same work over and over and over again. Why do we have computers? Computers are there to facilitate our lives, not for us to be facilitated you know, by, to them. So anything that can, that's repeatable is automated. And then um, do you, do you have, regular meetings, whether it's daily or weekly with your team to make sure everybody's on the same page for your service requests. In terms of the, uh, in terms of the company side? Yes. Yes. I sleep with my boss. Mm. <laughs> I mean, like, um, do, like our contractors, you've, you've got, our well, contractors, you've got, go ahead. Our contractors get tickets as needed and they close them. Um, if, if I see a need for, you know, to, if I see something I need for you three days from today, I'm going to give you a heads up. Hey, Steven, are you going to be available three days from today? I have some work that I need you to complete for me. Great. And you know, part of it is you need to be documenting exactly the same way as we document so that we can put that stuff in the R into the CRM and be able to have a full picture of what's going on. Does that answer your question? I think so, yes. Okay. I guess I was thinking more along the lines of um, some successful MSPs I've seen where all of the service team gets together, they huddle, they look at the open service requests and determine like, okay, this one's assigned to me, but I tried working on it yesterday. I ran into this problem. Who can give me some suggestions? Definitely. Uh, Pam just noted on the chat that, yes, we, we do that once we go through open tickets once a week. We don't want tickets to be open longer than three days. And if on the cycle of, of, of the Tuesday meeting, 
we find that a ticket's been open longer than three days, we have to figure out what is wrong here, how do we solve it, because this ticket has to be closed. This has to be dealt with. And if it's not on us, then we have to push whomever to get it done. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Carlos. Um, I, I did just post that marketing poll a second time because I screwed up one of the questions. So if you guys could re-answer that poll, that would be super. Um, now, last but not least, uh, we did not get a chance to introduce Ray because he was not yet here. However, Ray Orsini, big time is here. Oh, wow. Uh, start talking about setting the bar high. Um, um, so yeah. so, no, so no. Ray, Ray's company is Orsini IT. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And how long has Orsini IT been in business? I've been doing network engineering for over 25 years. Uh, Orsini IT in this instance is since 2011. And um, how many managed clients do you have? Like the customers? Uh, fully managed. Uh, fully managed just north of 1,300. Okay, so that's endpoints in your RMM? No, that's clients. How many endpoints are in your RMM? Uh, we're north of 4,500 endpoints. Okay. Wow. Good for you, man. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, that's a lot of endpoints. <laughs> Mind blown. Uh, and then for those of you, I, I need to do a, a, a shameless plug for Ray. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Ray also has a partner program for his voice over IP phone solution. Um, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I, I use it. I just got one of my clients onboarded and I, I think everything's going smoothly, man. I mean, you, your team onboarded everything for us and the, the number port process is going through now and I'm going to start getting checks and I don't have to do anything. It's fantastic. So for those of <laughs> you that nice. think Ring Central sucks because it does and for those of you that are using Intermedia for your phone solution, uh, you could be making more money. Talk to Ray. Absolutely. So, uh, with that said, uh, now we're going to talk about marketing. And I know everyone here probably has their, their own thoughts and ideas on how you should do marketing. Uh, me, I think um, people should just come to me and I shouldn't have to do any work and I shouldn't have to try and sell anything. They should just want to work with me because I'm awesome. And um, it doesn't work like that, apparently. So, Ray, <laughs> how, how, how do I get people to want to throw money at me? Um, <laughs> well, you know, marketing is tough. It's very much uh, you want to be out there. You want to be talking to the customer. You want to you be in the conversation, but you, wanna, you don't want to be cheesy. You don't want to be sitting there um, – we've all had those cheesy sales calls. We've all had those ones where, you know, they're pitching stuff that doesn't exist and you know, they're, you know, they're just reading from a script, something like that. That's the last thing you want to do. Um, so there's a fine line you need to walk, but the first thing that's sales, the first thing you need to do is market, get out there, get in front of them. Um, which to me is probably the hardest thing in the world. Um, I could sell ice to an Eskimo. I can deliver service. I can close a deal and I can make, keep customers happy on point and, and budget. But, 
to me, marketing has always been my personal toughest thing. Um, so I find tools that are going to make take that out of the equation for me. Um, in my sense, in my personal uh, experience, I do things that work for me. I'm good at speaking with people in terms of I find where they're at. I find, uh, let me backtrack a little bit, sorry. I'm still in the mindset of the previous one. Um, marketing simple. Marketing is find the people you want to target and then target them. Uh, like anything else, devil's in the details. It's how do you target them, how do you find them, and then how do you reach them. Um, reaching, thankfully in today's age, you can find names, email addresses, contact information pretty easily. Um, as far as actually contacting them, that's a different story. And then you want to keep track of who you contact. Um, and then in my personal opinion, you want to make sure that you absolutely make the best use of that contact. Um, for that reason, we, we front load a lot of the effort when I, when I build our contact list. Um, I will not put partial information. Any of my channel partners knows when they send us requests for quotes. Um, we won't do quotes for partial information. I need name, email, address, phone number, contact information, the full shebang uh, going into my ConnectWise. Um, and it's not because we're going to slam them. It's just because the Orsini IT practice is we don't do anything with half information ever. Um, that little practice has been instrumental in letting us effectively market uh, the people we reach out to. Um, whether it's that you know, I keep track of my channel partners and I know that, you know, when BJ is out selling my stuff, he's kicking ass in California and, you know, I got to keep that in mind. And I know, you know, I know who the boss is as far as the money's concerned. So I know who would ask for permission on stuff. Um, you know, or when it comes to Steve, I know with Steve circles, it's because I keep full and complete information on every one of the people I do business with, whether that's an end user, whether that's a channel partner, whether that's a vendor. Um, when you have that information, you can effectively target your market. Um, you can hyper-localize, and that's where the verticals come into. Uh, we all know about the medical verticals, the engineering, the uh, arts and sciences, that kind of stuff. We know about that. How do we make best use of it? Because if I sit there and I start talking to an engineering firm about having salespeople out in the field, they're not going to care. And if I start talking to a real estate office and start telling them about how we can do remote desktop and they can have their, you know, they can have their CAD drawings in the sky, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. So I'm absolutely going to do, I'm absolutely going to target everything I do at the people I want to hear the message. Um, the other part of that is, is I, I look for where they're at and I stay very close to where they're at. Um, most of you guys know me because I'm all over Reddit. I'm all over discord. Um, trying to get a little more involved in tech nibble, but I'm all over Spiceworks. Because my target market, who I've chosen to do business with, uh, as far as the channel partners, is you guys. So where where are you guys? You guys are the same place I'm learning stuff from. So that's where I go. It's no different with my engineering firms and my MSP clients in terms of looking at the medical. I'll start to look at where the medical conferences are. And I'll go take lunch in those areas. I'll start to look at um, who's hosting the conferences, who's hosting trainings, who's hosting webinars. What names keep coming up in marketing? Who show, what attorney is putting the next billboard ad and saying, hey, you know, I see a billboard ad because they're targeting slip and fall customers. Okay, but that's a guy that's investing in his business. That's a guy I want to target. That's a guy with a budget. That's a guy that understands how to spend his money and he's very interested in growth. That's my ideal client. 
I'm going to target that guy. I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to put him in my CRM. I'm going to blast it out to my marketing tool, which in my case is my matrix, which I absolutely recommend. Um, but either way, it's the same. I get full and complete data. I hyper-focus on them, get all the information, and I target them so that when the first time I talk to them on the phone, I'm that person's best friend. I know what they had for lunch and what they got rid of at a dinner last night. Um, and that information is extreme. That information is critical uh, when you're marketing, because otherwise you're throwing a net out and you have no idea what you're going to hit. Um, when I throw a net, I know what I'm what I'm targeting, and I make sure that I make the best use of it. I didn't really have a lot of uh, prepared statements. That's not really my shtick. Um, you know, I was more interested in taking questions from you guys and uh, listening to what you guys had to talk about. Um, Steve, this is being recorded, right? Have you been looking for a way to stay focused on your goals and grow your MSP? Accountability groups from Rocket MSP can help. We offer weekly accountability sessions that meet online with a group of your peers. Your success begins with accountability. Go to www.rocketmsp.io to join your accountability group today.